Well, the clock tells me I'm late getting up on my feet, so sorry, sorry for keeping you waiting, but uh, it's good to see you all here. Welcome, um, and welcome to you who are joining us um, online. It's great to be able to get together and to worship our God together. Now, today we're going to be spending a bit of time thinking about how amazing Jesus is. And there's a little bit of a a temptation in in us to go, oh yeah, okay, Jesus is amazing. He's up there. He's, He's so different from you and me. But we need to remember that Jesus was born as a baby. He grew up. He knows what it's like to have parents who don't completely understand you. He knows what it's like to learn. He knows what it's like to have friends, to know the joy of friends and to know what it is when friends let you down. He knows what it's like to be hated and to be hated for no good reason. So as we come to think about how high and majestic and wonderful Jesus is, it's also really important that we grasp hold of the fact that he gets it. He understands what we're going through. So, we've got a number of Bible readings, and the first one is written to some Christians in Philippi. It's on page 980 of your church Bibles, and Paul is writing to them, encouraging them to be like Jesus. So, God's word reads like this. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by coming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our first song celebrates that at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow. Everyone, one day, will face this great king. So let's stand and sing when the music starts.
Let's pray. Oh Lord, we've been singing about you. We pray that our hearts will open up, that our minds will be alert, that we'll be able to understand the privilege we have in coming to the King of all kings, the power above all powers. Oh Lord, we confess that often our faith is weak, often our eyes are dim and our minds are distracted and all over the place. Oh Lord, I pray that as we come to you now, you will help us to be more focused than if we were meeting the Queen. More focused than if we were meeting the President of the United States or our Prime Minister and realise that as we talk to the King of Kings, the one who made everything, the one who controls everything, you are hearing our prayers. You are accepting our worship. Not because we're good people, but because you've made a way through Jesus that anyone who trusts you can come and present their requests and their worship to the power of all powers, the King of all kings. Lord, we know that we have an enemy and you have an enemy. And we pray that today you will demonstrate your victory over him. Oh Lord, we pray that you will help us to turn from the things that we look to for happiness other than you and to turn back to you. We pray that as we are looking and considering your dear son and how your word tells us about him, that the truth that we hear will go right down into our hearts and change the way that we look at life. Oh Lord, we thank you that you love this world enough, so much that you sent your only son. And that you sent your son for whoever, whoever trusts him. And Lord, we pray that you'll help us to grip that that means anyone, that means us. And Lord, we thank you that we know you're a God who doesn't change. And that you're full of welcome and full of mercy for people who fail. So, Lord, we thank you that we can come to you. We pray that you will bless us. And we pray that we'll have a sense that as we met today, we met with you and you spoke to our hearts. Amen. So we have uh, some more Bible readings and we're going to read next from the first chapter of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to some Hebrew Christians. And we're going to be starting it at verse 1. And if you're looking in the church Bibles, it's on page 1001. So our first reading is going to be from Hebrews chapter 1. And this is what God says. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God 
and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Then later John is going to be speaking to us from this next passage, which is in Colossians chapter 1. It's on page 983, and I'm going to start reading from verse 15. So Colossians chapter 1 and verse 15 reads... He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he may be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of of which I, Paul, became minister. So we're looking forward to John speaking to us from that passage later. But now one of the greatest things that a Christian can rejoice in is that the God who knows everything about us is willing to be reconciled to us, not because of what we've done, but because of him. So we're going to sing this next song, then after that Mark's got the children's talk.
Good morning, good morning, everybody. A few more coming up. (laughs) Right, is that pretty much everyone? I think so. Good to see you all this morning. Now, I've got a little something with me. Right, what have I got? It's not often yellow, actually. Sometimes they are. What is it? Yeah. Golf ball. It's a golf ball. And what's the... What would you do with it when you're playing? Yeah. Hit it with a golf stick or a golf club. Yes, yeah, so you hit it with a golf club. And do you just keep hitting it around? What, what's the point of... What's the point? Yeah. Try and... Yeah, try and get it into the hole with as little hits as you can. You've all played crazy golf, have you? Yeah? Now... I don't usually bring this to church, but I've brought these with me today. Here you go. So these are my, my golf clubs. Now, got a little challenge for someone. It's a, it's a one-only challenge. Does anyone want to have a go at putting? Well, go on then. You are straight up. Come on then. Right, what I'm going to do... Now, I didn't want to dig a hole because I thought I might get in a bit of trouble. So I haven't done that. But there you go. So here is your putter. Do you want to take it? It's quite a big one. Now, what I'm going to do, I'm going to get over here, and I'm going to put my feet like this. I'm going to give you one go, and you've got to try and get it in. Is that all right? See if you can get it between. So don't need it too hard, because you'll not be over. But go on, give it a go. Oh, pretty good. Very good. It went in and then popped out a little bit, but not too bad at all. Now, a putter... It's very good if, you, if, if you're not trying to hit it too far and you're trying to get it in the hole, if you're playing crazy golf. But let's imagine that the hole we were trying to get it in was not just down at the end of the car park, not just at the other end of the field, not just in the woods, but beyond the woods. You know the woods right over there? Imagine if the hole was beyond those woods. Would I want to use a putter for that? Take me forever, wouldn't it? And there's hedges in the way. So do you know what I might use? I might use this. Okay, this is my big stick. Look at this. Ooh. There you go. Look at that. So that's called a driver. Who can guess what this does? Yeah. You whack it. Exactly. So you put it down and you give it a... Oh, that was close. You give it a big old whack, don't you? And you can hit it a long way with one of these. So yeah, if I was playing and the hole was a long, long way away, I'd use one of these. What about... What do you think this club's for? So got this one. Okay, this is a very different club. Look at that. Imagine I was going to use that club to hit a ball. Okay. So what might that club be used for? Yeah. Yeah, and why might I want to get height on it? Yeah, get it over the hedges. Exactly. So let's imagine there's a bit of a hedge in the way, and I want to get it to jump over the hedge. I'll use this club. So this is the thing. You've got, you're playing golf, and this is one set of golf clubs... But there's lots of different clubs in it, and they've all got their own purpose, and I use all of them when I play golf. Wish I was better using them, but I use all of them, and that's one set of golf clubs. And, you know, it's a little bit like the body in some ways, because this is one body. Are we all agreed? I've got one body. But there's lots of different parts to it. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says a person's body is one thing. We all know that, don't we? But it has many parts. So we've got a head, and we've got hands, and we've got arms, and we've got legs, and we've got feet, and we've got ears. What sort of things might we do with our hands? Give me something that you might do with your hands. Yeah. Climb with them. Yeah, excellent. What else might we do with our hands? Yeah. Picking? Yeah, might do, might we? All sorts of things. Yeah. Are you going to say something? 
pick mud off us. Is that what you said? Yeah, absolutely. That's a good thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, we can do... What might we do with our feet? Why we do that? Yeah. Walk. Yeah, we might walk. Yeah. Kick something. Hopefully a football or something, not someone else. What about, um, what about ears? What might we do with our ears? Yeah. Listen. Yeah, so we might listen to someone talking. Or we might listen to music or something like that. And our body, it's one body, but it can do lots of different things, doesn't it? Now... The Bible says something slightly strange. This is what it says. It says, all of you together, so it's talking about the church and Christians in the church. All of you together are the body of Jesus. So that sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? So this morning, as we're gathering, the Christians are like the body of Jesus. Each one of you is part of that body. Sounds a bit strange, doesn't it? We're the body of Jesus. But you know, just like we as a church are one church, There's lots of different people here that do lots of different things to show Jesus to the world. So, we've got... Who's that there? John. Give John a wave. There you go, that's John. He's our pastor. Right, who else have we got? Did you recognise our stewards when they came in? So the people that welcomed you. There's Pete sat at the back and there's others. And they're stewards, so they help people find seats. And can you see the people on the computers up there? Can't really. Give them a wave. There you go, so they're helping us with that. And we've got John over there. He's pretty good on the piano, isn't he? Definitely better than me. And you see, we've got all these people with different skills that do things. And what about your Sunday school teachers? You've got all these different people that do lots of different things for the church. And it's a bit like they're the body of Jesus, doing things so that other people can worship Jesus better. And you might think, well... I'd like to do something for God. I'd like to do something for Jesus. I'd like to be part of Jesus' body, but I'm not very good at things. But you know what? God gives us skills. He helps us do things for him. And just to finish, and I might take this golf ball just so it doesn't get taken away. Just to finish, my prayer for you, what I really want for you, is for you to grow up and be able to use your different skills in the church so that other people can worship Jesus and find out about Jesus. I think that would be pretty amazing. Thank you very much for listening, and you can go back to your seats. A story is told of one of the queens of England, not our most recent queen, um, but one some long time ago, who had the um, dubious privilege of listening to a minister. Um, And he was um, in mid-prayer, and her being queen gave her a little bit more confidence than perhaps some of us would have. And she interrupted his his waffle, because that's what it was, and she said, ask him for something. And as we come to pray now, I thought it would be a good idea for us just each to have about a minute. Say, what is it that you want to ask God for? Because there's no way I'm going to be able to remember all of your needs, but 
God tells us to bring our needs to him. So I'm just going to give you about a minute before I start talking, start praying, for you to bring your needs before the God who cares about us. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you tell us to bring our petitions before you, to tell our Father who loves us what our needs are. Oh Lord, we we thank you that you're near to us and we thank, thank you that we can bring our requests to you and leave them with you, knowing that you are good, that you care about us and that you are able to do more than we ask or even think. Oh Lord, we know that sometimes our requests to you are childish and stupid. And we thank you that you're wise enough not to give us those, those requests that look so good to us, but wouldn't be good for us really. But we thank you that you give us so many pictures in your word about the, the fact you want to hear from us, the fact you want to keep us, to, us to keep on coming to you with our needs. And even if it's something that, that, We've come to you time and time before. Oh Lord, we we know that you encourage us to keep on coming. So Lord, we we bring our needs before you. Oh Lord, we, we need to know you more. Oh Lord, we need you to help John as he preaches from your word so that we get a little more of about how wonderful Jesus is and we apply that to our lives. Oh Lord, we have friends who don't know and love you. Some of us have children who don't know and don't love you. Some of us have brothers and sisters who are lost and without any hope in this world. Oh, Father, we pray that you'll work to bring glory to your name by turning lives round. Oh, Lord, we thank you that you have and you do turn people from darkness into light. And Lord, we thank you that you rescue people from the most dreadful situations. And Lord, if we've been rescued, Lord, we pray that you'll help us to be so glad that you didn't leave us going in our own stupid ways, our foolish ways, our lost ways, our dark ways, into misery forever. Oh, Father, we thank you that you're a great rescuer. And we thank you you keep on teaching us as we're your children. Lord, we thank you for what the the ladies heard yesterday. And we do ask that you will use that to help them recalibrate their desires, that they will be hungrier for you, that they will be freed from allowing good things to becoming things that replace you. Oh, Lord, do help them to know what they heard And help them to know that you are in control. And Lord, we pray that for all of us, whether we were there or not. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll give us that peaceful reliance that you are good and that you are in control. Oh Lord, we ask that as there are so many opportunities for us to talk about you, 
to teach children about you, to teach young people about you, to explore your your word with others. Lord, we, we pray that you'll be blessing the Exploring Christianity sessions, that you'll be in First Steps and First Tuesday and Rooted and the Connect work. Oh Lord, there's so many opportunities and then there's the people we meet. Oh Lord, we pray that if we know you, that our, our trust in you and our love for you will bubble over and that it won't just be something that touches the surface of the lives of those around us but Lord that you will give them a hunger for you that you will be in the business of turning people around in our country in our neighbourhood so that we can see that our God is at work among us oh Lord we do pray you will revive your work we, we don't deserve you to come but we need you to come so Lord we pray that you will be with us And Lord, we thank you that you bring comfort to those who need comfort. Oh Lord, we pray that you'll be with those who are lonely. We pray that you'll be with Marion in the hospital, that you'll be comforting her in there and that it will be possible for her to be able to come out soon. We pray for those who are confined in old people's homes and ask that they too will know your peace and your presence. And we pray for those in turmoil. Oh Lord, every person knows their own heart, their own issues, their own problems, and we don't. But we thank you that you tell us to present our needs to you. And that you promise that you will give us your peace. So we pray that we will know that. I pray especially for those who are troubled that they will know that too. So Lord, we we thank you that we can come to you. We pray that you will help us to be a people who pray, to bring our needs before you, trusting you as we go through each day of this next week. Amen. Now I don't know what you prayed about in that couple of minutes or a minute that we had before but I'd encourage you if you've got someone who's close to you that you talk about them about what you've prayed for and you pray together for it because our God delights to hear from us so we're going to be singing about Jesus again and then John's going to be coming and talking to us we're going to be singing about how he is from before the beginning of the world and all of his, or a number of the great things about Jesus. So let's stand and sing.
A family has a, an old item in their house, um, an antique, um, let's say that it's um, a clock. Uh, it's been handed on to them with some enthusiasm by older relatives, so said it was a, a family valuable. And it had its place in their living room for some time. And then they increasingly wondered if it looked a little out of date and uh, out of keeping with the style of their room and the way things should look these days. Uh, So they put it in the loft. And it had been in the loft for some time. um, And at a later point, they're um, uh, clearing out their loft. They feel it's time for a big sort out. And there's this uh, old clock up there. And... uh, Well, they think it has to go, so they box the clock with other things and they place it in the garage, ready for a dump run in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, One day they settle down to watch a programme. It's an antiques programme, perhaps it's uh, Cash in the Attic, which you've never seen, or Antiques Roadshow. And um, there's a, a pro on the show and uh, then uh, people are presenting their different articles in front of them, and they're presented to this professional is exactly the same clock as they have, or as in their garage. And then after a lot of jaw and talk, the um, expert valuer estimates the value of the clock to be £60,000. Well, no sooner as the episode has finished, and you can imagine the couple are scuttling their way to the garage, out comes the clock, not to the loft, but back in their living room, pride of place, something to be looked at, the centre of things, because they realise how valuable it is. Well, I'll tell you that story, uh, not to make you neurotic about purging your attic, that does need to happen, but to... um, help you to understand what was the risk of some of the people at the church at Colossae. They had thought highly of Jesus. They'd been told that he was valuable and important. But to some extent, he now didn't seem to really fit in with their style and outlook and philosophy that was coming on them from some quarters They felt that they needed something a bit different, something extra. They were tempted to, verse 23 of our passage, they were tempted to shift away from the hope of the gospel, move away from the hope of the gospel. And they needed to hear a correct valuation of Jesus. They needed to have their eyes open to his worth, Then they would take Jesus out, if you like, of the loft of their mind or their lives or the the garage of their lives or their minds and prize him highly again. And that's what happens in our passage this morning. And this passage, we're on page 983, Colossians 1, 15 to 23. This passage, this may be timely for us. If maybe we once viewed Jesus very highly, but he's not fitting in with the current 
fashions of our life and the people around us. And we're tempted for him to go in the loft, out the way, marginalised, or even tempted to, to take him away and to get rid of him. Then this passage could be really helpful for us this morning. Or maybe we've never seen any value in Jesus. Uh, we've just thought of him as some ancient teacher with a, a few wise sayings, not much else. Then this morning's passage will help us to see the value of Jesus. Or maybe we still do value Jesus and his gospel and the hope of the gospel. No, we're not particularly tempted to move away from it. But then this morning will help us just to enjoy the magnificence of Christ. Well, it's very much about Jesus in these verses. It starts in verse 15 with, He is. He is. And in fact, if you scan your eye down the passage, if you've got it in front of you on your app or in your Bible, there are a lot in this passage, a lot of he is is, or hymns, or his is. There is an and you, we'll come to that, but that's in verse 21. And before that, we have a lot about him and he is and who he is. Sometimes we're a bit too quick to see where we are in the picture. But by far the biggest thing for us to understand and to see is who he is, the worth, the greatness, the value of Christ. I think we can put it like this. Colossians is about a colossal Christ. Colossians is about a colossal Christ. And it's no richer than in these verses that we're looking at this morning. So we're going to track through what's said about Jesus in these verses. Uh, In my view, we are amongst um, some of the, the highest peaks in the Bible, especially to do with Christ, a rich Christology, as the theologians would say. And perhaps you have flown over mountain ranges One of the um, highlights of our journey to Barcelona uh, a couple of months ago was to go over the Pyrenees and to look down and to see the the big peaks of the Pyrenees out of our window. Exhilarating, awesome. Maybe you've gone over the Alps or you've flown over the Dolomites or, or something else more exotic. Well, here we're going to be up amongst the peaks of truth in the Bible And it's going to be a magnificent sight as we see the highness of Christ. And the truth about Christ in these verses is really, can be grouped together, if you like, into into four peaks of truth, which we can just stand amazed at the highness of Christ, have our valuation of Christ corrected and put right. And the first area, the first peak is this. Christ and the divine. Christ and the divine. Divine is to do with God. So Christ and God. Christ and the divine. And you have this in verse 15 at the start and verse 19. What is Jesus' relationship to God? With God? We can have 
merely only a human view of Jesus. A baby born, a man who lived, a carpenter, somebody who said things and did things. But here we have ginormous statements about Christ. In verse 15 and and part A, just means the first part. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. And verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Ginormous statements about Christ and the divine. He is God seen. He is God in the flesh. He is the exact imprint of God. He is an exact match of God. He is God incarnate. If you ever go to... um, um, special buildings with very special roofs, maybe a cathedral or something. You can uh, give yourself tremendous neck ache if you want to study all the intricacies of a glorious ceiling which has been done. So in some of them you get a diagonal mirror and you look at the diagonal mirror which doesn't strain your neck and you see on it the exact image of the glory above which you couldn't see. And in Christ you see the exact glory of God in human form. He is the fullness of God. Verse 19. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. These these are such magnificent, deep, mysterious things. I don't know if you followed through that third hymn. Um, if you didn't, it's worth, it's worth looking at again. I thought as we were, were singing it, that it expresses really what I'm trying to get at. It puts it so well. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. God has chosen to reveal himself fully in his Son. It will come out again in the next chapter, in verse 9. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. He demonstrates the attributes of God. He is filled with divinity. He is divine. He is God with us. I thought bravely at the Queen's funeral, the uh, person speaking spoke on John 14 verses 1 to 6. Verse 6 was particularly courageous in that sort of a setting. And if he'd have gone on a couple more verses, he would have gone on to John 14 verse 8, where Jesus says this, He who has seen me has seen the Father. His divine nature in the Gospels was sometimes seen more fully than at other times. Peter thinks of his transfiguration and Peter says we were eyewitness of his majesty. John says in the 14th verse of his Gospel, the word was made flesh 
and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. So Christ is divine. God in the flesh. And you don't put God in the loft. And you don't box God up in the garage ready to be carted off to the dump. God has to have the central prized place in your life and outlook. Christ and the divine. And then we go on to a second peak of truth in these verses, which is Christ and the creation. Christ and the creation. What relationship does Christ have to the things that are around us? to the things that are made to us, to the stars, to microorganisms, to angels. Is he just one amongst them? Listen to the astounding descriptions we have in these verses, verse 15, halfway through. The firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Wow. The firstborn of all creation. Not so much thinking of coming out before, we think of firstborn, we think, well, the the first one born, firstborn, but in in that situation, firstborn was often about status and and role and authority over things. The firstborn was the heir and was in charge, in charge over all creation. Creator, creator, for by him all things were created in heaven And on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him. So Christ, not merely a a part of creation, over creation, the starter of creation. That God the Father used God the Son as his agent in his creative work. That things large or small Physical or spiritual, they seem to be taken up with angels. Physical or spiritual were created by Christ. That the highest thing we know on earth, Mount Everest, nearly 9,000 metres up. The lowest part of the earth, the Mariana Trench, nearly 11,000 metres below sea level. At the stars that we can see, the few thousand that we can see with our naked eye on a good night where there's no street lights around us. Or, or the stars that we see through some of these new telescopes which are projecting images in this last year or two. Or the many stars which are beyond even the vision of the telescopes were made by him. Through him and for him. It just, we just sort of pile on the sort of descriptions of the, the greatness and the dignity and the glory of Christ that were made through him and for him. Like the song in Revelation tells us, 
At the end of chapter 4, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. He was before them, that is, more important than them, and existing before creation. And we, we go further in this little part, the Christ and the creation. Firstborn amongst creation, creator of creation, before creation, and then it carries on. He, he upholds creation. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So the physicists are aware of subatomic particles and their charges, And the chemists are aware of elements and the way in which they bond together. And the microbiologists know the intricate processes of life and DNA. But above all and beyond all, upheld by the word of his power. We read Hebrews earlier. It's along these same lines. Verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And you don't put the Lord of creation in the loft or in the box in the garage. You prize, you adore, you bow before, you submit to, you worship, you acknowledge the worthiness of the one who is creator of all things. So Christ and the creation. And then we come thirdly to Christ and the church. Excuse me. Christ and the church. So we move from what we might call the original creation to what we might call the new creation. What is the relationship of Jesus to the church? Verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. The church is more significant than many people realise. We did look at that a couple of weeks ago under the theme, Why Bother with the Church? when we looked at a couple of verses in 1 Timothy. Perhaps some of you will have that in mind. And here we think of Jesus' relationship to the church, which is important in God's programme. We see again this word firstborn. The firstborn from the dead. In charge over the one who rose from the dead is head over those who have been spiritually raised from the dead and who will be physically resurrected from the dead. He is the firstborn 
the firstborn from the dead. And he is the head of the body, the church. Be reminded the church is a body. And here we see he is the head of the body, the church. Not a, not a sideshow, not an extra. The head, the authority, the life giver, without which the body just can't function, can't exist, has no direction, loses its source of life. Christ is the head of the church. Not the Pope, not the Archbishop of Canterbury, not a a local pastor. Christ is the head of the church. In all things, he deserves to have the first place. You don't marginalise the head. You don't discard the head. You take off the head and the body dies. Christ is the head of the church. It seems to be in vogue in some places to rename churches or some churches which are planted pick up a name and it's interesting the names they pick sometimes. More often than not these days they might pick a a name which is central to what church is about. So you get Grace Church or quite often you get Christ Church. And there's something to be said for that if you are thinking of a name of a new church and a church plant. We've got a nice name, we've got no problem with our name, Forest Fold Baptist Church. I've certainly got no appetite to review something like that. And we do believe, or I believe, maybe you believe, I hope you believe in baptism. Baptism is a a biblical pattern. Baptism of believers, I believe, is is something that's in the Bible. Baptism of believers uh, by immersion best reflects the Bible descriptions. But it's far from central. It's far from number one belief. If we are a Baptist church, I know. But Christ church is a good name, isn't it? Because the church is especially about Christ. He is everything. He is most important. He is the preeminent. In all things, he might have the preeminence and when you realise he's the head of the church you don't marginalise Christ you don't put him in the loft you don't have him as a distant part of your life which is just about to drop off the edge we've had three peaks we're up amongst the Pyrenees we're circulating perhaps you've seen Frozen Planet. I saw a Frozen Planet 2 episode uh, this week and uh, they have the drones now, don't they, going around these peaks of the Himalayas and elsewhere. Well, we've been circulating around peaks of truth, Christ and the divine, Christ and the creation, Christ and the church. Christ and the broken... difficult to pick the right word here I'll give you some of the contenders that I had because they give you a fuller sense Christ and the the hostile Christ and the the separated uh, Christ and the 
estranged. Actually, I thought in many ways that was the best word. It's just not such a normal word. I didn't want to use it. But Christ and the estranged. Christ and the broken. Notice the breadth of these descriptions again. We've had it, actually, as we've come through. You, you notice the, the alls. Uh, verse 15, we had it. Of all creation. Verse 16, for by him all things. Verse 17, a couple of times, he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And we have it here again in verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. It's a colossal Christ, you see. A big impact. Big rain, all things. And a big work of reconciliation. And there is, plainly, isn't there, a brokenness in, in creation. People have turned against the authority of God. And there is damage, and there is distance, and there is disease, and there is death. And Christ is the great reconciler, the great mender, the great bringer back together. Children, do you, do you remember a, a children's talk just a, a, a couple of weeks ago? I've got the bits of it here. It was on that, that word, reconciliation, mending, and the way in which God and sinners just, just can't get together. you remember that? And how God had made a solution to reconcile, to bring back together. And the solution was Jesus going to the cross so that God and sinners could be reconciled through the work of Jesus on the cross. And that is what's taught in these verses. And through him to reconcile, to mend, to bring back together, to bring close, to reconcile to himself all things. And notice how this is astounding, isn't it? So we thought of somebody who is God in the flesh, who is involved with creation, and yet you go on to such words as these. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you have words in the next verse or two to do with flesh and death. That there is the, the great work of reconciliation. That this is the route to peace that God has made through his son coming and dying on the cross and taking judgment, punishment, wrath, curse instead of others, instead of those who believe. Now, it does seem here, and this is mind-boggling, that reconciliation has a, a wider impact. It seems here that there's a sort of a cosmic dimension, if you like, to, to the reconciliation, that in some way Christ restores the, the spiritual world. 
need thinking through and understanding that in some way he restores and will fully restore the physical world so that the effects of the, the curse, the fall that we had, which has led to a broken environment, will one day be repaired. It is, it is achieved through the cross. But it's most obviously a reconciliation which involves people. Jesus is the great peacemaker. Don't disregard the peacemaker. And this is where we fit in. We we finally get to the and you, or the you are, which we have down in verse 21. And you, that should, I wrote that too quickly, that should have been and you, and you. He is, and you. And we see that we are part of this reconciliation, if we are believers. Verse 21, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. You were distant. Your lives were against him. It showed you've been brought back by Christ. And now you're in a a wonderful position of being sort of three times not guilty in the way it's described in verse 21 in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Christ and the broken, the separated, the hostile, the estranged, the, the distant brings them back. And that includes you if you're a believer. He is your reconciler. And when you start to realise these things, about these peaks of truth about Christ and his significance in each one of these peaks... then you well understand what he goes to say in verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. So we've had this little tour of these four peaks of truth about Christ. Hopefully it's stirred a sense of humble adoration in your hearts. Hopefully if there was any amongst us who were starting to put Christ and his gospel in the loft or in the garage... We've we've had the Antiques Roadshow valuer tell us what Christ is really worth... And in your, your minds and your life, you need to head up to the loft or you need to head to the garage and you need to get Christ and his gospel back into the middle of things, prized, loved and appreciated. The highness of Christ, to be adored, loved, treasured, valued and never to move away from the hope of the gospel. 
we've got a final song. I enjoy choosing the songs. I, I, I get more benefit than you, I think, from the songs, because I know a bit of the background as to why I'm choosing them, so it's richer for, for me. If you, if you want to read verses or passages that we're on to before the services, that will probably help you enter into the songs as well. Uh, perhaps you do that. But uh, there have been rich songs this evening, and we're going to sing one more to finish. And beforehand, I'm just going to read from the start of the Gospel of John, you say, well, you've been mainly in the letters. Well, what about the Gospels? Do they say anything about what you're talking about? Well, here is the Gospel of John and the way it starts. Jesus is termed here the Word as the revealer of, uh, of God the Father. And it says here, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Well, shall we stand to sing then our last song which is you're the word of God the Father from before the world began. Every star and every planet has been fashioned by your hand. we just thank you and praise you for the privilege we have had to be amongst the peaks 
uh, this morning and standing in awe of the truth that is taught about Christ. We pray that in our hearts, minds and lives he will be valued very highly, worshipped, adored, lived for, thanked for his wonderful work of redemption. And so we pray that he will indeed be greatly glorified by what's been taught this morning, by what's been sung this morning. Forgive us when we put our grubby uh, fingerprints over what is so precious and do anything to distract or mar, but we pray that he will have been especially lifted up in what we have been considering and will stay in our minds. We pray this for the glory of his name. Amen.